We're running with the shadows of the night. So baby, take my hand. You'll be all right. Wow. There she is. Okay. Are you awake? <laughs> if you were not awake just a few seconds ago, I'm sure that my electric rendition of Pat Benatar's smash hit Shadows of the Night just woke you up. And there are a few reasons why I'm kicking off with this singing to you, acapella style. The first is because I was recently reminded of this very simple and challenging quote by the wise Eleanor Roosevelt to do one thing a day that scares you. And as you can tell, shocker, I am not a professional singer. And <laughs> I said to myself, you know, you could kick this special series off by speaking that lyric. And then I said, which one scares you more? Clearly, it was singing. So this is an encouraging nod for you to do one thing today that scares you. And listen in, you know what it is. You don't want to snap your comfort zone, but you definitely don't want to keep it atrophied either or atrophying. But anyway, this is a series that I'm so excited to kick off, which is also why I'm singing because I'm so excited about it. It is a sub-series that we are creating within the Closet series, and it's called Chris Notes. It's a little bit of a wink-wink, a little nod to the much-loved Cliff Notes that, I don't know about you, but definitely aided me in my junior high and high school English classes. As much as I loved reading, as I do now, which is going to lead in to the reason that this subseries was created, I've always loved reading, but I also have a very active mind, and so reading comprehension was not always the easiest for me. So Cliff Notes definitely came in handy. So once a month, Chris Notes is going to pop in to the closet series, and I'm going to highlight a book that I have devoured that I want to share with you, the bits that had me squealing with pure joy and wincing with pure humanness. And, you know, it's one of those books that if I could drone drop it on every single person's lawn, I would. But instead, I'm going to drop it in the mic. And hopefully it will reach as many people as possible. These are the books that made me wish that everybody could get their hands on these because their message is that universal and that personal, which is usually the case, right? The personal is universal. And we often forget that. And then we get in this space of the epidemic of loneliness that we're in. So this is to aid in the purpose of the closet series, which is to help you feel less alone, less in the dark and more relief and more reset. So I, what I'm going to do is I'm going to highlight the book. I'm going to take an exercise or a question either directly from the book to pose to you or create one from insight gleaned because we all know knowledge attained with no application does jack squat. There needs to be integration into your life for the message to stick. So you can think of these exercises as mental sticky notes for you to put into action. And the first book that I'm highlighting is one of the best books I've ever read in my life. And I really thought about saying that before I said it. And it is absolutely true. Uh, it is wise. It's witty. It's full of heart. It's full of science. Um, and 
it is incredibly powerful and incredibly needed right now in our world for many different reasons that we'll dive into. And it's called The Perfectionist's Guide to Losing Control, A Path to Peace and Power by Catherine Morgan Schaffler. And oh my gosh, I'm so, I'm just so, I'm so happy to bring you this book because I, I cannot speak highly enough about it. And I also realized the alignment of when this episode is being released is very serendipitous because it's on Mother's Day. And I will say to you, I wish you whatever type of Mother's Day that you want most. If it's a happy Mother's Day, awesome. And if it's a peaceful Mother's Day, amazing. But I do know that Mother's Day brings a lot of emotions for a lot of different reasons to a lot of people. And I just hope that you give yourself what you need. And you listening today, or whenever you're listening to to this, but if you're tuning in on Mother's Day, you may have serendipitously stumbled upon this because you need to hear the message today. And Catherine Morgan Schaffler's message is so loving and so kind and so compassionate. And did I mention funny? Like so funny where needed. Her her timing for where to insert humor is, I will say, perfect. I will say perfect. She nailed it. She absolutely nailed it. And she does not leave any stone unturned regarding the gender imbalance when it comes to the stigma attached to perfectionism. Because although, yes, anybody can relate to different perfectionistic tendencies, there is a definite heavy, heavy hold of a boulder for women. So whether you are tuning in in your car, on your walk, in your kitchen, wherever you are, outside, somewhere, maybe sitting on your patio, drinking your favorite beverage. I so hope you enjoy this episode and I hope you go and buy the book, listen to it on audio, get it out of your library, whatever, but get your hands on it. And I promise you, your life will be changed for the better. So without further ado, let's dive right into The Perfectionist's Guide to Losing Control, A Path to Peace and Power by Katherine Morgan Schaffler. Welcome to So To Speak's The Closet Series. I'm your host, Christy Mandor. As an energy leadership and mindset coach, I work with high achieving, overthinking, established and emerging leaders and entrepreneurs to support them in getting out of their heads and back into their lives. I believe that by strengthening your emotional intelligence, rediscovering your core values, and boosting your mindset, you have hit the jackpot trifecta of being well on your way to feeling more relieved, reset, and ready to bring your whole self back into the world. My hope is that by listening in on each episode, you leave feeling reconnected with yourself with possibly even a shift in perspective that supports you along the way. Because sometimes the smallest spaces allow the biggest insights to emerge. I'm glad you're here. So for the sake of the entire episode, just to be consistent. I'm going to take some liberty to call Catherine Morgan Schaffler, Catherine. And there's a reason for that. 
it is out of complete respect for the tone that she set through the entire book. So Catherine, when you listen to this, I hope that you are not insulted by me calling you by your first name, but more finding it as a very, very big compliment because you have created a book that is literally like having a best friend with you the entire way when you're facing some truths that may be one eye open truths, wincing truths. You know, I often say you have to gross yourself out to grow <laughs> and you do it in such a wonderful, very beyond genuine. I, I really can't even think of the word. It's so transformative. It's so powerful and it's so loving in a way that isn't, that's very strong. It's a strong love. It's a super strong love and not a tough love, a strong love. It's very different. So I'm going to refer to Catherine as Catherine throughout this book because she creates a sense of being her friend, like you are friends while you're reading this book. It is the voice that I have taken on in its own way of being that self-compassionate voice that really has me look at certain things in my life that I may not have been wanting to look at and have al has allowed me to take a look at them in a loving way to myself. So I do hope that comes through to you as well once you do read the book. Um, but before we even dive into it, I want to just share that this is the first book that the beginning, like literal beginning before the contents and the end in the acknowledgements, it's like a bookend. And it's the first time I've ever highlighted anything in the acknowledgements. So I'm going to tell you about both of those now to give you a very, like if you had to do a log line for a screenplay or for, you know, TV guide to give you a little bit of a hint into what the book is about. These two lines are exactly what it is, okay? So the first is a quote by the phenomenal Dr. Clarissa Pincola Estes, who wrote Women Who Run With Wolves, which is a fantastic book. Read that after you read. Get your hands on The Perfectionist Guide. Go ahead and read Women That Run With Wolves. It's incredible. And there's a very, like, mythical fairy tale style to it, which is beautiful, and so the quote from Dr. Clarissa Pincola Estes that opens Catherine's book before the contents is, she is what she is and she is whole. She's whole. And that immediately hooked me because we live in a world, and Catherine even touches upon this, that it's like best self, like be your best self. And for many people, that may be very motivating. And for people who lean perfectionist, like strong perfectionist. I feel like we all have some tendencies, but those of us who really lean like myself, best self is unattainable. It's like you're constantly striving and you're never going to get there. So that idea of whole self is just so grounding and relieving and attainable and expansive. There's just so much more room for possibility. So I love that she kicks off with that. And then her Acknowledgement is to her editor, I believe, Nikki, uh, I might be butchering this, but Papadopoulos. And what she says is this in the acknowledgments. Catherine says, as is, as is true for most people who better the lives of others simply by being themselves, you'll never understand how much you helped me. Again, all about wholeness, all about authenticity, genuine authenticity, not the buzzy buzzword that's flying around about authenticity, but genuine authenticity is that wholeness. And I will tell you from cover to cover, this is your playbook. It's your guide to 
rediscovering your wholeness, rediscovering your wholeness. One of the quotes that is just absolutely um, a kicker that I'm going to share with you now is one that I've noticed with myself. I've noticed with clients because I tend to work with clients who have such good intention and are incredibly hard on themselves. And so we work on getting out of their head so they can get back into their heart because of that. I just truly believe that if that energy that is staying in their head is alchemized through their heart, they could make even more profound, impactful influence in the, in the, not just in the world, but in themselves. Um, and this, this quote resonates. I've shared this with clients too, and it's within her chapter of, oh, it's really funny. You'll enjoy this solution about as much as you will enjoy getting an A minus, <laughs> which I'm telling you, she's very funny. Um, and it's all about self-compassion, this chapter. And what Catherine says is, this isn't what she's telling you what to do. She's saying this is kind of like the asinine, you know, belief that we often have in our head, which is always blame yourself. That way you can stay in control because if everything is your fault, you can fix it all when you finally get your shit together and become perfect. Right? If you're not saying wow out loud with that one, I'm going to say it again so you don't have to rewind. Always blame yourself. That way you can stay in control because if everything is your fault, you can fix it all when you finally get your shit together and become perfect. Wow. Wow. It's just incredible. And so that's just one line. And that is completely representative of the entire book. There's just so much in there. Um, And so what I'm going to do is I'm going to share with you the five types of perfectionists that are in here. And then I'm going, I'm going to leave a lot up to you so that you do go ahead and look into this. There's a quiz that Catherine offers on her website. There's a quiz that is in the beginning of the book. It's the same quiz for you to see which type you are. And you could be many different types. And overall, the one part um, that I want to highlight that really stood out to me, and I guess it's not the part, it's more the message that resonated with me was this book is a life changer in so many ways, because not only will it allow you the opportunity to look at yourself with so much more love and so much more care and so much more strength and curiosity, but it will allow you the opportunity, if you're willing, to look at all the other people in your life who you might have just written off, whether it's a boss or a parent or a friend or a sibling or your neighbor, whoever, as being like annoyingly perfectionist, like, oh my God, he's so intense, or she's, she's got to be so perfect, or she's such a people pleaser, or he's, he's so, he just doesn't get stuff done. He's so lazy, he's such a procrastinator. It will allow you to pause your judgment and shift it. It will give you that opportunity if you're open enough to gain more understanding and compassion. So if it is someone who's in your life who falls within one of these, these types, It'll give you language and a perspective shift on understanding what's underneath that behavior. It's just amazing. And I'll tell you, honestly, the last time I was in awe of such a bounded tour de force was Glennon Doyle's Untamed and before that, Elizabeth Gilbert's Big Magic. Seriously. So it's right up there with both of those. And um, the, the last thing I'll say before we jump in is 
it'll, it gives you an opportunity to see yourself in an entirely, entirely new way, not a new you. It's not like, oh, get rid of the old you. And it's not that it's just a new way. And it's very different and very needed. And you become your biggest ally and it's whip smart. It's witty. It's loving. And here we go. Okay. So the types of perfectionists we're going to jump into, and then I'm going to give you an exercise at the end for you to start noticing. That's it. It's just to start noticing. This may reaffirm what you already know about yourself, but it's going to, it's going to give you an opportunity to notice when the tendencies happen and you feel maybe some anxiety or shame or whatever comes up that doesn't feel pleasant and allow you to shift to more of a supportive thought. Um, okay. So the first is the classic, right? We often think the classic perfectionist is all perfectionists. And one thing that my therapist told me that I was like, oh my gosh, this makes so much sense is he said, we were talking about perfectionism in general. And he said, the neighbor who mows their lawn where it looks so perfectly manicured could be as much of a perfectionist as the neighbor who lets their lawn completely go. The neighbor who mows their lawn and it looks like it could be on the cover of Better Homes and Gardens could be as much of a perfectionist as the person who you don't think is. They let their lawn go and it might be like, oh, they're lazy. They're this. And granted, there's many different reasons, but pretty interesting perspective, right? Because if you don't try, there could be perfectionism around that. Like, oh, if I don't, if I stay, you know, procrastinating, that goes within that one. But anyway, okay. So classic perfectionist. This is, and this is straight from the book, the opposite of inauthentic. Classic perfectionists operate with incredible transparency about their particular set of preferences. Classic perfectionists also constantly broadcast their perfectionistic tendencies. So they're, they're proud of them, right? It's like an identity. And I love, this is the humor, right? So Catherine says, here's, as an example, here's my impeccable spreadsheet about restaurant options for vacation. Here's my haircut that somehow perpetually looks like I just got a trim. They are reliable and predictable. Classic perfectionists make it clear that they don't like disorder. So that's classic. That's the one we all know. It's the one that we're all familiar with. And the next is the Parisian perfectionist. And I'm going to leave the reason why Catherine calls this one the Parisian perfectionist up to you to find out by reading the book. But I will say this, the Parisian perfectionist is the people pleaser. It's the one who wants to be perfectly liked and an achievement of other type of perfectionists is to be liked. So this is the achievement that Catherine says, Others, other types, other of the, the five types they don't like, they don't prize this. They don't need to be liked. Parisian perfectionists do. And I love this. She says the perception or reality that others don't like them gets under the skin of this type of perfectionist, eclipsing their perspective and creating a loathsome experience of self-infantilization, wherein the perfectionist feels like a needy child vying for attention and approval. Yeah, they're big ones. I'm telling you, I'm telling you. Before I go on, I'm going to tell you this. Catherine breaks these down. And the gold in this book 
is if you continue on, even with one eye open, even under a blanket, I will be completely honest. I read the vast majority <laughs> of this in the winter, which may have not been the best time to read it in the, the darkened winter. However, there is a light. There's so much light. And I also was under a weighted blanket half the time with a cup of tea. Um, <laughs> there are gifts to each perfectionist type. And it's a it's not a straight line to get there. However, Catherine offers a straight line to see the gifts. And she does shine gifts on each one that are so they're just so clear. And it's like, oh, of course, of course, this is why that behavior is happening, because this is what they're wanting. This is what they're needing. And it's it really does offer more so much more compassion. So moving on. So the reason I'm saying that is because if you start getting nervous about the types, uh, just know that within it, there's so much depth to it and lightness as well with the humor that gives you guidance. So you are so not alone. Okay, so we did classic, we did Parisian. Now the procrastinator perfectionist, The per this is again from the book, the procrastinator perfectionist, they're not skimping on self-esteem. It's, it's not like they don't think they can do it. They're painfully aware of their gifts, painfully aware that is because procrastinator perfectionists live in the space between knowing you have a gift you want to share whether it be romantic love, talent, a new idea, and not feeling ready to share it. They see others whom they believe don't have as much to offer shoot past them at work or with personal milestones, and it stings every single time. And there is so much about stuckness with this, and there's so much behind the science of stuckness. There's a book called The Science of Stuck. Uh, I want to say the author's name is Britt Frank. So definitely uh, get that after this one and it will make so much sense. There's, it makes so much sense. So the procrastinator perfectionist, there's many reasons for that type to be triggered as well. And then we're going to move on to the messy perfectionists, which is one that I <laughs> relate to the most. I have a theory on that as well, but still. I will tell you, messy perfectionists, here we go. They are optimistic and they start happy, but they struggle to maintain momentum unless the remainder of the process feels as exciting and as energizing, i.e. as perfect, as it did in the beginning. Since that never happens, messy perfectionists who haven't yet learned how to use their perfectionism to their advantage take on a million and seven projects only to abandon them all. The operative part of that sentence is haven't yet learned how to use their perfectionism. That is what is in every single type that Catherine offers is how to use your perfectionism to your advantage versus to your disadvantage. And it's, it's, I really will say it's mind blowing. It's mind blowing. Absolutely mind blowing. Okay. Uh, lots of options for messy perfectionists. <laughs> Uh, she says, for example, their system for a project might include a series of saved Word documents that make total sense to them, but is impenetra impenetrable to anybody else. <laughs> oh, my goodness. Oh, and multiply that by everything they try to take on and you can see the problem. Oh, my gosh. It's so, so true. Um, they get hooked on the intoxicating rush of a fresh start and then become disillusioned by the sobering tedium required to complete the work. 
Yes, there's a very childlike sense to that. I'm an Enneagram 7. So the Enneagram 7 with the messy perfectionist is like a mirror image of each other. So it makes a lot of sense. Um, and I will get to the last one in a second, but I will tell you this one, there's two things. So in specifically with the messy perfectionist, I'm going to give you an idea here of where I kind of analyze this a little bit, because I want to give you some, just some language around it and some, um, possibilities once, if you choose to dive into the book and see different types and how it shows up in your life within yourself, the messy perfectionist definitely is something that I resonate with a ton. And I do believe most creatives probably do. There's a lot of excitement with newness. There's We, we oftentimes get so overloaded with ideas. We don't know what to do with ourselves. We daydream. We're tendency to be, <clears throat> excuse me, idealistic. At the same time, what I noticed is the more that I have gone through whatever type of work to just unpack certain things, what I realized is that it, beca- it actually became a habit that scatteredness was more of a defense mechanism than it was a natural um, attention issue. It was more that by being scattered, and I hope this comes through and makes sense, but it's like by being scattered, I was almost also being a Parisian perfectionist and pleasing. And, and that was my way of being a people pleaser because when I... Somewhere along the line, I picked up that when I focused, it was intimidating. And I have to say, societally, focused men do have a tendency to bring out a feeling of safety and security. Like when there's a man who's focused, we are conditioned to think like we feel safe, like, okay, they're in charge. All is good. When there's a focused woman, it is very different. There is a very different societal stigma attached to a focused woman. And it's not positive all the time. And we're changing it for sure. I know many, many people who are doing their part to change that um, perspective and that stigma. But I, I do feel like the more that I have worked on, you know, with my therapist and work even with good friends, just who I've had conversations with, I've I've embraced my power of focus and my people-pleasing tendencies have started to diminish. They're they're still there for sure, but they've started to diminish. And my messiness has also been almost like the kid in me that gets super excited. And I've been, you know how much I love personifying feelings and emotions and stuff like that. I think it's super helpful. So I just look at it like I'm holding, you know, the six-year-old Christie's hand who's like so excited. <laughs> I'm like, we got this. We're going to do it together. So I hope that comes through clearly. And it gives you a little bit of insight there. Um, Okay, so the last is the intense perfectionist. The intense perfectionist wants a perfect outcome. And this is straight from the book. While some intense perfectionists focus on a grand vision, others' vision can be pedestrian. So there's an example here, which I love. So Catherine uses the example of focusing. So this type of perfectionist, the intense perfectionist, focusing on the goal of boarding a flight perfectly may look like, and this is from the book, their desired outcome is to get to their seat as quickly as possible with everything they need to have a comfortable flight readily available to them. Headphones, water, blanket, quiet. Okay. Now the difference, because at first glance, that may seem like a classic perfectionist and Catherine breaks that you know, discerns that, which I love. 
A classic perfectionist may share a similar goal, but the difference is that classic perfectionists understand that it's not reasonable to impose their expectations on the people and environment around them. So accordingly, classic perfectionists don't experience the shock and near rage that intense types might encounter when things don't go their way. Immediately sensing the first break in efficiency, intense perfectionists break too. So in, in very simple, even though this is very complex and has many tentacles to it, in very simple terms, there clearly is a bit of a, a growth area opportunity for intense perfectionists with maturity, with emotional maturity and with self-regulation, right? Uh, and, you know, classic perfection, perfectionists have their space for growth too. That seems to be a very clear distinction. And so those are the five types, classic, Parisian, messy, procrastinator, intense. You could take the quiz. I'm going to put the link in the uh, show notes. I'm going to put all the info about Catherine Morgan Schaffler, where you can buy the book, where you can learn about her in the show notes as well. And her Instagram, she has a phenomenal Instagram page. It's uh, a highlight on my feed when it pops up. And, um, and what I'll say is that the one piece of this that I really want to focus on and highlight before I give you your exercise is... I'm going to give you two pieces. So one is there is such a clear and and she really visits this area for a while because it's so strong that we may not realize it. How to move from self-punitive to self-compassionate thoughts and behavior. There is something with People who, again, I do believe everyone has tendencies, but of course there are people who lean heavier towards perfectionism. There is a learned habitual thought process of self-punishing thoughts instead of self-compassion about letting us off the hook, then what? And there's consistent conversation throughout this book about adaptive versus maladaptive perfectionists. And there's this sense of this insatiable um, desire to reach something that is unattainable if you're maladaptive. And if you're able to shift, shift to being more adaptive and use your perfectionist tendencies for you versus against you, it is a game changer. It literally is a world changer. And it's incredible. It's absolutely incredible. And there's... Uh, a big part of satisfaction and enough and you defining those, like what's enough, what is satisfaction? And the more that you can get clear on those, the more you will be well on your way to being able to shift more towards adaptive versus maladaptive. One of the main highlights of this book that I feel is like, oh my gosh, I, I, I literally said out loud when I got to this part, are you serious? Like I did not know this book could get any better. And now it's brought it to a whole new level is there is a entire section on reframing, an entire section, examples upon examples. And I'm only going to give you one because I feel like that's one that blew my mind. I sent it to friends. I, I've used it with clients and everyone consistently is like, what? Because it seems like when you hear it, it seems so simple, but we never have thought of it like this. Okay. So let me get to it here. Um, 
here we go. All right. So it's about asking for help. There is so much attached to asking for help for many of us. And it oftentimes is like that we're, we can't handle it, that we're weak, that we're needy. There's so much, right? Here is the reframe. So instead of looking at it like, you know, when I ask for help, it's going to look like I don't, I'm not capable. Or when I ask for help, I'm needy. Or when I ask for help, it shows that I can't do it on my own or whatever it is. I'm inadequate, right? Here's the reframe. Asking for help is a refusal to give up. Asking for help is a refusal to give up. Wow. Talk about shifting to a totally empowering and like a be like I'm literally seeing fireworks right now. Like what? Or even, you know, a bow and arrow and just nailing into the bullseye. It's incredible. It's incredible. And there is also a huge highlight in Catherine really um, backing the idea of getting support in as many ways as you can. Like there's not one way to get support. Get get support in as many ways as you can. And it's just, it's such a supportive book in so many, so many ways. Uh, I'm going to leave you with one quote that I asterisk. I don't even know what it is. I just saw it when I was flying through here, but clearly I highlighted it. And then I also put a green asterisk next to it. So clearly that meant something. <laughs> so let's see if I can find it here. Um, let's see. I'm going to leave you with me here while I do this. <clears throat> there's so much that I highlighted. The entire book is completely highlighted. Here it is. Thank you for bearing with me there. Hopefully that pause gave you time to process all of this mind-blowing information I just put into your mind. So this is in the chapter called New Thoughts to Think to Help You Stop Overthinking It. And Here it is. And it's again, simple, simple. It's just the remembering and the noticing that is, it just, that takes practice and a willingness, right? So here it is. You don't have control over your unconscious reactions, but you do have the power to choose a conscious response. You don't have control over your unconscious reactions, but you do have the power to choose a conscious response. It's kind of like that same idea that I believe it may have been young Pueblo who said this, um, the writer young Pueblo, that it's not your initial reaction that shows who you are, or how much you've grown. It's noticing that reaction and then choosing a different response. So I feel like that goes right in line with it. Okay. Wow. All right. So here's the exercise and it's simply noticing and it goes right in line with the songs, you know, the me kicking things off with the lovely Pat Benatar. What I've done is I have connected each type with a song that comes to mind. It's like their theme song when they're, they're in a maladaptive state and you can take the song as a prompt and bring it, bring your own song in but it's a great way to bring some lightness and some humor and some play into the world of personal and professional development because it can get really heavy and really dark. And so one of the goals I consistently have is to lighten it and bring a bit more play into it. 
So I've a, a, attached a song with each type. You can swap it out or use that song and start noticing when you're feeling a feeling that is unpleasant, because the more you notice it, the more you will be able to get curious. Because a lot of times, even if we have an unpleasant feeling, we're so used to it that we're comfortable with it. It's familiar that we may totally buzz right past it. And if you want to do this and you're feeling like, oh, I could do that, but I really want someone with me, reach out to a good friend, reach out to a loved one. If you want unbiased, reach out to a coach, reach out to a therapist. There are so many different options uh, it, at work. I know so many companies have EAP uh, programs. So definitely reach out uh, to whoever you need. All right. But here's the play part. Here we go. For the Parisian perfectionist, I have Will You Still Love Me Tomorrow by Carol King. It's a very sweet song. I'm sure you know it. Here's a little trivia that I got from the book Girls Like Us, which is a brilliant biography on Carol King, Joni Mitchell, and Carly Simon, that Joni Mitchell and James Taylor were dating and sing backup to Will You Still Love Me Tomorrow. So while they were dating, they were they also sang backup in Will You Still Love Me Tomorrow, which is awesome. All three of them together, musical icons. Uh, for the intense perfectionist, I Go to Extremes by Billy Joel. It's a brilliant song. I love that song. And it's right on with the intense perfectionists. For the messy perfectionists, all you out there who resonate with that, burning down the house by the talking heads, because just not going the way you want, burn it down and build a new house. <laughs> oh my gosh. It really is funny. It does give you objectivity in this book to at first be so in it and then go, oh my gosh, it's so silly. Yes. Yes. Are you and your team tired of being tired and frustrated with being so frustrated you are in need of strategies to keep you optimistic and grounded, not inauthentically positive and drained. Because when the going gets tough, you are either paying for it now or you're paying for it later. So to speak's get out of your head and back into your life workshop is your answer. It's available for a half day or a 90 minute workshop online or on site. And you will be able to reclaim your mind so it can work for you instead of against you. You will learn sustainable science-backed strategies to strengthen your emotional intelligence and your mindset. And you will say so long to foggy, frazzled, and frustrated. And hello to clarity, focus, and relief. It's not rocket science, but it is science. If you're interested, go ahead and email Christy, K-R-I-S-T-Y at so to speak, S-O-W-T-O-S-P-E-A-K.com, or you can go directly to the website, www.sotospeak.com. Okay, and then we have for the classic perfectionist. I'm going to pause on this one, see if you have, give you some time. So for classic perfectionists, what would be the theme song? All right. You might've gotten one, but if you didn't, you can have this one. 
Everybody wants to rule the world by tears for fears. The goal here too is that these are songs that I love. Hopefully you love. And if you don't, find some that you do that can give you a sense of play and enjoyment so that we can laugh at ourselves more. I feel like we all need to laugh at ourselves more, myself included. I can get so serious. And then I just, one of the best pieces of advice I heard that is like, I go to all the time (laughs) when I can remember it is to think of your life like a sitcom. And of course, you have to remember it to make this work. But when you do, it is an immediate relief and immediate release. And if you think about sitcoms, they're usually very serious, which is what makes you laugh so much. Okay. Last but not least, we have the procrastinator. And the irony that the procrastinator is the last one on the list is very funny. But the procrastinator's theme song is, of course, Wait In In on a Sunny Day by The Boss by Bruce Springsteen. So there you have it. There are the theme songs. You can mix and match. You can make it your own and use these as prompts that just boost your idea-generating creative mind. And overarching, I would say this. I love Arcade Fire. You might also love the band Arcade Fire. And there are two songs that stand out to me that are on their, I believe it's their latest album called We, which is a fantastic album through and through. While you go, if you choose to go and be courageous and look under the hood and see what's happening within whatever perfectionist style tendency that you lean towards, chances are you will find that, of course, all behavior comes from something, right? Like there's a purpose for it. There's a reason that we're doing it in a way of protecting ourselves or feeling like it will help us feel safe, feel more secure. And a lot of times there's that sense of like really meeting your inner child and finding a way to tap into your wise self, which we all have, and have it have a conversation with your inner child. So it's like that beautiful maternal energy that can then hold your inner child by its hand. And the song that I feel connects that immediately is the song by Arcade Fire called Unconditional One, the number one, Roman numeral one. It is the most beautiful song. It is all about a parent's love for their child. And if you do not cry, ball your eyes out when you listen to the lyrics of that song, Or when you read Catherine's book, you may want to take a quiz to see if you're a sociopath because I'm telling you, the book, the song, major relief, major internal warmth and comfort that will come from it once you face some hard truths. Um, And then also for all of the types, the most maladaptive overarching theme song would, of course, be Age of Anxiety, also by Arcade Fire. So I will put all of the songs in the show notes. I'll put all the information on where you can learn more about Catherine Morgan Schaffler, where you can learn more and purchase her book and go easy on yourself as you navigate this because it takes a lot of courage to be really honest with yourself. And then what surfaces is a more whole version of you, a more genuine and authentic version of you that has been waiting there all along. I will see you next week.
I know your time is valuable. So thank you so much for tuning in to this week's episode of the closet series. I would be so grateful if you could go ahead and leave a review wherever you're listening right now so that it helps other people learn about the series as well. And if you have any questions on the topics of emotional intelligence or mindset that you would like to have me answer on the podcast, please send them in to me without hesitation because chances are there is at least out of 8 billion people in the world, at least one other person who could really feel relief, feel ready, and feel recharged to get the answer from your question. So go ahead and send those in with the email subject line, Closet Series Q&A at Christy, K-R-I-S-T-Y, at so to speak, S-O-W-T-O-S-P-E-A-K.com. I'll see you next week.